0: Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project complete, Matflix is
1: the one-stop shop. To everybody, welcome to this week's Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This is the ninth episode of the third series of Maternity and Midwifery Hour. Um, my name is Sue MacDonald, and I'm the curator of this Midwifery Hour and also the Midwifery and Maternity Festivals. So it's my pleasure to be here chairing this evening. Um, and as many of you will know, this evening was, or these sessions were designed. in in response to the COVID pandemic, as a means of making sure midwives, student midwives, and loads of people in the maternity services had some access to information, continuing professional development during that time, because obviously we haven't been able to have face-to-face festivals or study days or conferences. So this is a way of countering that and making sure you get some interesting material and learning, which is fantastic. Um, and tonight we're looking at postnatal care, sometimes called the Cinderella of the maternity services. Um, and we, I think my guests here will probably think it should be the jewel of the maternity services, really. Um, and we need to ensure quality and support from pregnancy to that transition to early parenthood and um, the early parenthood. So I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Elizabeth Duff from the NCT and Logan Van Lesson from the Whittington here in London and welcome to both of you. I'm so glad you're with us this evening. Um, now we always start off the evening and I've, I've put both Logan and Elizabeth on the spot to ask them for their moment of the week. So can we start with Elizabeth maybe?
2: I was warned about this, but um, (laughs) I had forgotten till just now when I was reminded. But I'm going to take a moment uh, in personal life just from today because we are about to move house away from where I've been living for getting on for 40 years. And both my daughters and my little grandson came round today to say goodbye to the house. Um, So although quite a lot of it is already packed up, it was quite a, a funny but emotional few moments just going around and saying, oh, well, that's the last time. But we will have a new house and we will all meet again. And it's lovely to be here.
1: Gosh, That, that is a real rite of passage though, isn't it? Moving from one house. <laughs> Gosh, oh, real emotional thing. Thank you for that, Elizabeth. Oh, how about Logan? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, good evening, everybody. Yeah. So lovely to be here.
0: Um, I went through, kind of asked, and I thought, oh, gosh, what has been so special? And um, it wasn't this week, actually, it was last week. Uh, but I um, am a trust of uh, the Iolente Midwifery Trust, and uh, we had a, a fabulous uh, awards uh, ceremony virtually last week. So uh, in terms of the awards, the Iolente Awards uh, happened last week. So there were some fabulous awards for midwives and uh, student midwives. And I just think that uh, in COVID times, that was really a very warm spot last week. So yeah, that that, that was my kind of moment, if you like. And, and trustee on the board for the first time, so yeah.
1: Wow, thank that you. sounds fantastic. Absolutely, fa- a really heartwarming for both of you, really good events. So thank you for sharing those with us this evening. And I just have to reiterate that because I always do on this, that this is provided by Netflix and this is where you need to go if you have an assignment to do, if you've got revalidation to think about, it's a very good source of information. For example, this session tonight, which is gonna go out now live and later on in the week and a bit later, it will be accessible after this time and you can share it with your colleagues and your friends and have a discussion about it, and that can be part of your revalidation for those of you who are looking at that. And um, just at, at the moment, I just need to um, really think about the fact we're still in lockdown. We've still got this roadmap. I've got uh, road roadmap um, steps by my side at all times, just to keep track of how what how and what we're meant to be doing. It's very easy at the moment, I think, especially as people have had the vaccination. Some folk are getting. You know, quite excited about all oh, we can do this we can do that and do the other and of course we still have to follow our social distancing and our masks and just trying to stay at home as much as we can so keep with it we're getting there um, but there's there still a lot of people who are sick in hospital and we send our good wishes to the people who are in hospital poorly but also those staff who are working so hard to look after them and, and care for them and their families. So thank you to those people in intensive care, in the high dependency units and in the medical wards who are looking after people. We always also say a big thank you at this point to our maternity service colleagues because though some people have been redeployed, most, most maternity services have carried on because guess what? Women are still pregnant, having babies and need that care. And and so a big thank you to the midwives, the student midwives, maternity care support workers, all the people that keep everything going in the maternity service for women and their babies and their families. And we've added our thanks to people in the vaccination centres who are doing such fantastic work doing the vaccinations and getting the rate of COVID right down, which is fantastic. And again, a big thank you to all key workers everybody who's keeping the whole country going and keeping us going now i always at this point as well go on to the news we've had the budget and i'm not going to to go on too much about the budget because many of you will be hearing it all day and all evening and and it's a you know quite hefty going but the the key things is the furlough is carrying on till september the top up of 20 pounds a week benefits are continuing for another six months wine beer and fuel duties have been frozen that may be good news for many people and there's a stamp duty holiday for people as well for a while so we're moving away from the budget you'll be all relieved to know and today is world hearing day and world wildlife day and it's also the national day for bulgaria i always like to have a little fact like that so to anyone who's a bulgarian who's listening in Have a lovely day. And I hope it has been a good day for you. Just also vaccinations are very well underway. We've hit, we're hitting over 20 million vaccinations. 20 million vaccinations. It's just incredible. So well done to everybody who's part of that. And it just reminds you when you hear someone like Dolly Parton singing the vaccination song. Any of you who are on Twitter will have probably seen that. But she has had her vaccination. She held back, even though she's put an enormous amount of her own money into vaccination processes in, in America. But she held back from having hers, but she's now had her vaccination. So that's good. I had, I'm had. i an avid tweeter, those of you who don't know. Um, and a tweet of the day for me was a lady called Annie Bush, who talked about the Bosch huddle. And I thought this was a really good idea, which could be fitted in wherever. I think this is mainly used in, med- in medical care, I'm not sure. But it's a Bosch, so it stands for B-O-S-H. B, you all get together, just, just five, 10 minutes in a, at a shift, and you start off with B. Has everyone had a break? Oh, are we all okay? S, are there any sick people on the ward? And H, does anyone need help? And I thought that was a really good, quick checkout, just to make sure we're all looking after each other, because this is the real time. We need to look after ourselves, but also look after each other. So I thought that was really good. You will all have noticed there's a resources page that's online and that's got all the references you'll need for this evening. Some have come from Elizabeth, some have come from Logan, some have come from me. So do check that out. Okay, we're going to move without further ado onto the main meat of this evening, um, and that's to look at postnatal care. The Cinderella of the services. It's a time, and especially at the moment, when people feel very stressed, very anxious, mum's coming at home with a new baby it's very scary and um, and midwives are really needed to provide postnatal care and there's often some challenge about that especially over this last period of time so i'm really so pleased that i've got two fantastic speakers we're going to start with elizabeth elizabeth duff and many of you will know elizabeth She is a National Childbirth Trust senior policy advisor, and she can discuss just about anything to do with motherhood, with women, women's issues around maternity services um, and birthplace. She's worked with the RCM and the International Confederation of Midwives in the in the past in communications and policy, which is that's her huge strength and skill. And in her present post, she's represented the NCT on national maternity reviews in both England and Scotland. So we're delighted she's with us this evening just to talk a little about postnatal care. So welcome, Elizabeth. The screen is yours.
2: Well, good evening. Thank you, Sue. Well, I knew we weren't going to get away from the Cinderella image. And indeed, this has been around, I reckon, over 30 years that people have been referring to postnatal as the Cinderella service. And it will be very nice to feel that we can stop doing this quite soon. Apart from anything else, in my view, Cinderella is not really a very appropriate metaphor because although she had a tough time and was badly treated by her stepmother and her stepsisters, actually, she did get a fairy godmother. She did get a lovely dress to go to the ball in. She did go to the ball. She did meet the handsome prince. And apparently, after the shoe episode, he got married and they lived happily ever after. So I'm gonna try in these few minutes to see if we can get Cinderella get some ideas for getting cinderella um, a little bit nearer to that um lovely happily ever after life in the palace but it is going to start um a little bit bleaker you may you probably all heard of holly mcnish who's wrote some absolutely amazing usually very short but very poignant poems about having babies breastfeeding Great many things that are relevant to midwifery and just giving you a few seconds to read through this one. If you haven't known it before, but I actually feel the last three words here are often two key things for women who've become mums, especially for the first time and come home if they've given birth um, in a hospital or outside the home. And in the first few days, there will be weeping and there will be bleeding and up to a point that's normal but after a few days or even a few weeks if mums are still weeping and still bleeding a lot of the time that is not normal but how do they know they need help and these two are not the only problems of course that occur in postnatal care But it just struck me that they are symbolic of the mental and emotional well-being that mums should be supported to have and the physical recovery, the, the support through physical recovery that they also need in order to be the parents that they want to be. This is also rather a bleak slide. It will get better, I promise. And I'm sure that I'm not telling anyone anything new about what women have experienced, uh, particularly during the recent months and the last year. Um, and this is a very recent report from the, the Risk study, the WRISC, um, which is uh, a joint study um, run by the University of Cardiff and BPAS uh, and funded by the Welcome, but NCT have been uh, joint investigators on it and it's done some very um, insightful and helpful work about how to talk about risk to pregnant women. But they also did this report about the experiences, this one particularly, about postnatal care during the pandemic. To be honest, much of what's being said here might have been said before the pandemic in the worst cases because I have read similar things um about women's experiences when they are in a service that is very overstretched But I think a lot of these things will have been made worse during Covid because there is less face to face care and midwives, we know, are so busy and the workforce is suffering from sickness and those who have to isolate. So where it was overstretched before, it has been threadbare. I just I won't read out all this because I think you know it, but particularly with the first story, which is a woman on the postnatal ward. It just strikes me. She's saying, oh, the staff was so busy. The staff lacked time to explain things. She's not having a go at the midwives or the MSWs or the doctors or anyone else. Um, she's very unhappy, but she knows that's because you're busy. She is actually being kind, compassionate and forgiving about midwives and really shouldn't have to be the job of the women being looked after at that time. Um, But we do hear this over and over again, perhaps because postnatal women are beginning to be full of oxytocin. They don't want to have um, unpleasantness and confrontations. They want to love their midwife as well as their baby. So repeatedly we hear, oh, the poor staff were so busy. I didn't like to bother them, but it shouldn't be what happens. I'm going to move on, you'll be pleased to know, to beginning to look about what ought to be done in postnatal care. I'm going to say these 10 points emerged. It's something that people at NCT with some other colleagues just pulled together, not really for one specific purpose, but just to try and summarize the things that came up over and over again. Um, this is partly the result we did, um, published a report in 2010, a long time ago now, called Left to Your Own Devices. And a lot of these things, uh, that was all about postnatal care. And I think the title speaks for itself. It was uh, a woman's words that she just felt she was left to get on with it. Um, We had a survey in 2013 uh, which was published as support overdue and we repeated that survey in 2017. So it's the results of these repeated surveys um, uh, that showed this is what pretty clearly should happen and many of these are set out in policy or set out in NICE guidelines or national policy documents that all these things should happen. And they're not rocket science, they're not in themselves um, too ambitious or very expensive, but we know in a lot of places, they're not actually happening. And a lot of the themes here, I think the phrases like joined up, follow up, communication, consistent information, consistent content, it's about the fact that postnatal care happens in a service from too many individuals, too many different systems, too many employing organisations, uh, hospital trusts, sometimes a different community employer, um, local authorities or Public Health England who are commissioning and providing the health visiting service, and then the GPs who um, uh, run primary care, uh, in a, according to a contract with the NHS, as you know. Uh, I haven't mentioned obstetricians, who some of whom are very interested in um, postnatal care and do like to, where they possibly can uh, to see women who need more medical care. But these 10 things, I think, sum up a lot of what is needed. And I know that quite a few of these things were being done um, during the implementation part of the better births policy review so there has been progress um, but i think not enough yet i wanted to take a little deviation to look at quality um, again this is a quote from um, a document which is probably familiar to many from quite a few years ago but i don't think much has changed Uh, three key elements in quality care, and this could be any kind of care. Um, So I would normally for maternity say woman-centred or personalised rather than person-centred, but that is is the term in this um, Health Foundation work. And sadly, I think that postnatal care falls short on all of these Um, Most of it is safe, as most of maternity care in the UK is safe. But sadly, a lot of the maternal deaths that take place are in postnatal care, so we cannot say that it is safe. Effective is a huge question mark, because that means providing services based on evidence and produce a clear benefit. The evidence is widely lacking, because research that covers the whole of postnatal care is almost absent in the last um, five to ten years, I would say. Please correct me if I'm wrong. There have, of course, been studies of particular aspects of postnatal care, uh, like infant feeding support or uh, pelvic floor health um, and, of course, postnatal mental health. What I feel is there should be quality right across the field of postnatal care, and that means somebody taking account of all these dimensions of quality. I'm going on to look at some groups of mothers. Again, I don't think that um, this is going to surprise anybody Uh, There are a number of groups we know who are more vulnerable to worse outcomes from pregnancy, from birth and, of course, from postnatal care. And I wanted to flag up really at the beginning, those very small groups, uh, fortunately, um, but very, very key in terms of those women who need postnatal care, those who are bereaved because their baby has died. Those who are in prison, um, and we know there are, um, there has been quite a bit of that care highlighted, it is very sparse for women who have to go straight back to prison um, without their baby. And some of the most distressing stories of, of maternal suicides have been related to that. Uh, some women are very severely ill mentally or physically and cannot look after their baby. They still need postnatal care. Very much so. And the fourth group I've highlighted here is where baby very sadly has to be taken away because the mother is deemed not to be able to be responsible for caring that baby. Again, those women need the postnatal care that all women should have after a birth. So please, small numbers here, but they they need care. Uh, More groups who are... um, more vulnerable to worse outcomes. Um, these are perhaps more widely looked at, particularly we've got here uh, the higher rates of mortality associated with women in the black, Asian and minority ethnic uh, communities, uh, those from lower socioeconomic groups, older women, um, women who smoke, women with higher body mass index. and All of these have been paid more attention to during pregnancy and intrapartum care, but I don't hear so much about what happens to them in the postnatal period. If it puts them at higher risk during pregnancy and birth, they will remain at higher risk in general because all these things go on. They don't disappear. Women don't get a lower BMI or less age once they've had their baby. So we do need to think about these as much as we do in pregnancy and birth during postnatal. How can we make sure they're all right and that appropriate follow-up is carried out? I'm going to switch for a minute to just saying I come from NTT. We do care a lot about women in the postnatal period. And this was a particular campaign that I hope you heard of. Um, It reached its... um, Climax about a year ago when the, the um, demand we were making to have a properly funded and manda- mandated postnatal check for women was agreed to in England uh, so that from April the 1st last year this has been funded that all women should have this check. We are going to pick that up again next month and see if women are having it. I'm sure we'll be told, well, the last year hasn't been exactly a normal one, and I'm prepared to say back, no, it hasn't. Has the need for a postnatal check, especially of women's mental health gone away? No, it hasn't. It is even greater than it was before. So um, this should be done. And the Royal College of GPs has agreed and is uh, bringing guidance and training to its members. So we wanna make sure that is happening. We are also um, updating all the time our um, information on our website. A lot of that is about COVID, but I wanted to flag up what we do in postnatal because we feel, and this is from women's feedback, that knowing what is normal. Uh, go back once again to the weeping and the bleeding. How do you know how much of that is right? We do help on this. The picture there, uh, a lot of you may be familiar, both either from real life or from seeing this page before. It's a baby's nappy on day three to four. If you don't know what they look like, the different colours of baby's poo can be absolutely alarming for um, for new mums. So that's, that's just an example of what we do on the NCD website. Uh, I haven't got a slide about it, but I will throw in the fact that we've been Um, wildly and manically putting out services for uh, not really wild and manic, but with great vigor and energy all across the country, running walk and talk groups uh, for new mums and dads so they can get together and meet new parents, other new parents in the locality in real life. And I cannot tell you how many times new parents have said that has been a lifeline to their sanity. And it means they can make friends in real life then go home and pick up with all the online ways of doing that. So a few things that NCT has been doing. And I'm going to close about there and we're going back to Cinderella. And I was told earlier this week in a completely different context that midwives love an acronym. So here we are, this is Cinderella back in the palace. There is the pink palace with those letters. And this is what I want to see because I think this is about what the systems need to be, not the individuals. I know the individuals are out there doing what they possibly can, but we need postnatal action from the top. We need postnatal action in leadership, in accountability and ensuring continuity and consistency. And we need equality or equity right across all those groups of women all of them, including those who are more vulnerable to worse outcomes. I will be going on about this, particularly leadership for postnatal, because I think it is almost completely lacking when you look at that period from birth to six or eight weeks. It's too fragmented. And if we had some leaders there, I think that would improve everything. So thanks very much for listening. That's me and uh, let's have some good discussion after that's great thank you very much elizabeth
1: <laughs> it's good it's good to have seen the the palace at the end of the the cinderella bit so it's fantastic and and thank you for reminding our watchers and our listeners that there are, is an opportunity for questions so if you have any questions do put them in the live feed now and they'll come through to me the why i keep Looking over here is not because I'm doing something else, but I have two screens and one screen, the questions come in. So at the end of a Logan session, we'll have an opportunity for questions. So please send them in if you have them. That's great. Thank you very much, Elizabeth, starting us off. I'm now delighted to introduce Logan Van Lesson, who is a consultant midwife for public health. She's at the Whittington Maternity Services in London. She promotes the health agenda for women's maternity services at all levels and ensures that good quality evidence-based care is at the forefront of the maternity services she's working in. She leads on the Better Births work stream on community maternity services and she's also the chair of the RCM Consultant Midwives UK group. And I know she's a very busy person as well as as Elizabeth. So welcome very much, Logan. Thank you so much for coming. The screen is now yours.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, uh, Good evening again, everybody. Uh, So thank you, Elizabeth. That was really food for thought. And I think, um, uh, like you, uh, I'm very, very passionate about postnatal care. And I think... Uh, what I'd like to kind of get across uh, to our audience this evening um, is is how important and crucial it is. It cannot be an add-on service. It's absolutely got to work. So uh, uh, I just wanted to introduce you to some very lovely penguins, just to cheer you up on the first slide. So uh, my talk will include COVID, some of the challenges, but you will recognise, uh, many of you will recognise how we work, and I think I'd make some recommendations of how I think we could change postnatal care. My slide's not moving and I don't know why it's not moving. Okay, let's just see. Okay, double click on that. Oh, sorry, it's gone back up. Okay, right. So we'll start with the journey like you do. The woman doesn't get to the postnatal bit but, uh, without the antenatal journey. And you know, there are huge expectations, aren't there, around a pregnancy. Most women get to the end. In fact, everybody gets to the end. Some have fantastic journeys, some have mediocre journeys, and some people just just don't have a very good journey at all. And that includes babies. But what do we do? Think about the the way we nurture women uh, antenatally. Uh, We certainly monitor them consistently. We see them throughout the nine-month journey. We scan them, we screen them, we advise them, uh, and we hold their hands in in, in many, many ways. And that contact, and some of them are lucky enough to make some really good trusted relationships with their caregivers. And then we build them up, and we build up hopefully including families and partners uh, for the actual birth. And if you think about that scenario of nurturing, and trying to protect that mother and baby antenatally so that we have real positive outcomes and we take them through the birth process. And again, there are so much, uh, so many standards uh, and, and targets to meet in line with you know, meeting all the antenatal requirements around screening, all of that. And then in birth, we are mandated to, to or we're told we must provide one-to-one care in labor and That's a standard we have to meet. So just hold that in mind and think about then what happens just after the birth. So we've built them up and we've given them this massive expectation. But the reality is somewhat different for so many of them. And as Elizabeth said, uh, you know as soon it's almost a sigh of relief when the baby's well, the mother is well, and then the eyes come off the ball to look after the next lady coming in. But it is tough making that transition to become parents, let alone look after a new baby uh, who doesn't really behave as you thought it might do. Uh, It's tough being a parent 24 seven. And the mental health issues, and often, you know, we include partners very much so at the Whittington. I know it's not the same throughout the country or maybe even globally, Uh, But, you know, partners and family play such a crucial part uh, in the postnatal journey. And think about some cultures where the postnatal period is treated in a very precious way, where close family, close friends absolutely are there around the mother and baby. You know, they're given special food. There are rituals around postnatal care. uh, The babies looked after there's somebody around to help mother and baby quite a lot of the time however we don't i mean in this particular culture that's not the case many 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 families are isolated they're on their own uh, and many for the first time and circumstances are very very different so the help they rely on us professionals um, midwives and all the support workers and all the our earliest colleagues to really, really show them the way forward. So, just to kind of think about the nurturing and how well do we really nurture them postnatally. And I would say that uh, midwifery services still very much are traditional in the postnatal sense. We did have mandated visit, visits uh, before by the NMC. You know, when I qualified, uh, and I'm sure Sue will remember this you had to see a new mother and baby twice a day for the first three days, and then every day till day 10. Uh, and then you, know, you carried on with some of them, uh, but then you handed over to health listing services. And over the years, that the standards around postnatal care have, I would say, okay, that's maybe you might say that's too much, you, know, you couldn't possibly keep that up. And not all mothers wanted to see a midwife every day. I take that. But um, now, if they get three visits in their routine postnatal care, uh, they are indeed fortunate. And that seems to be the standard and it's almost become custom and practice to say, we'll see them the day after they go home, Uh, we'll weigh the baby, uh, and then we'll do the blood spot test on day five, Uh, we'll go in again on day 10 and we'll discharge them. I'm very happy to discuss this afterwards, but that seems to be the pattern. But my question would be, why are we offering postnatal care? What's the purpose of it? Uh, yes, some of it is around clinical, uh, making sure the mother and baby are physically okay. Uh, they're recovering from the process and the baby is thriving. But I would say, that what we offer postnatally has pretty much long-term effects on families. And if you think about the public health role of the midwife, uh, we always consistently are promoting health, health for the mother and also around infant feeding. Um, We are trying to prevent ill health. We're trying to avoid women having poor experiences. Uh, We are preventing babies from being ill. Uh, And we do the clinical stuff around all the screening. But our professional advice and expertise is I think very valid. And I would say to the audience, how often do you uh, have to run from a postnatal visit to a postnatal visit? You might have eight, nine visits. You have a clinic to run. How much time do we really get to sit there with women and be with women and families? I'll be pretty good at signposting to other services, but how well does that happen? Uh, and, you know, continuity. I mean, Elizabeth talked about consistency of information and continuity, and that comes up time and again uh, with, the, with the amount of complaints. Uh, when the complaints do come in, it's often about uh, inconsistent and conflicting advice. It's something to think about. But I think there's also a political thing around... Uh, The way maternity services are funded, Uh, you know, we know the money is behind labour care and labour and the maternity package as a whole is bought. And therefore, for the postnatal side of things, uh, you don't get that much uh, funds in through trust. And so I think, you know, there is some of that behind it in terms of the the area of importance, if you like, throughout the mother's journey. We've got a mother and baby delivered, they're fine. We get them home and that's it. And we provide a sort of a minimum level of service. And the other huge um, area uh, was safeguarding, which Elizabeth talked about as well. Uh, And this is so important for all our vulnerable families Um, you know, the amount of work you do. And I would say that a lot of our health visiting colleagues these days, a lot of their work is around safeguarding. And that old traditional way clinics, you know, all of that immunization, it happens. But the way they offer their targeted services now means that safeguarding is taking up a lot of their time. So then what have we been hit for? So uh, hit with, well, to use the... The Cinderella scenario, you know, so Cinderella did not get to the ball during the pandemic. There were just far too many restrictions in place. So we've got a standard routine postnatal care that was already been, if if you like, minimized, and then it's been impacted again in the last year. So we've had social distancing, uh, you know, we've had uncertainty, and when COVID hit us, there was a lot of uh, mixed messages around the PPE that should be worn. There was a lot of uncertainty around infant feeding uh, because the evidence just wasn't there, and we were all finding our way around how do we do this. And as an instant knee-jerk reaction, many trusts just stopped doing a lot of face-to-face stuff, and that included postnatal visits. Um, and we had not only did our service do that, but also early years did the same thing. You know, so where women would go to children's centers, for example, they all closed down, and then you know that schools did too. But there was reduced face-to-face contact for infant feeding, as well as uh, being able to access services like children's centers uh, and social services, etc. So think about how difficult that w- would be or is for very vulnerable families to overcome where they already felt um, perhaps that the needs were not fully met. And in the last year, that need has even grown more. And of course, we were we were hit by staff absences as well. So then we went on to the uh, virtual and remote world uh, and all the challenges around that uh, and engaging. And of course, it's kind of highlighted uh, the inequalities even more uh, because things like classes and things like postnatal stuff, um, we've had to kind of adapt the way we work uh, to that. So just going on about that is that, what we don't know is that the impact of Covid is yet to be measured in terms of how families have come out of it. And the public health messages also didn't help us. We were told to stay at home, stay isolated and only travel and uh, when when absolutely necessary. So the impact on mental health, increase in domestic abuse and breakdown of families has been more significant. And I think we're gonna be looking at a COVID generation and potentially the impact of a whole lot of uh, children who might be affected by it. So what can we do? I think we should reinstate face-to-face contact as quickly as we can. We do need to protect staff, we need to give them adequate protection uh, so that they feel they can get around and meet women. And we need to monitor well-being in different ways and be a bit more innovative in terms of offering support to women. And most of us can do that virtually over the phone, on videos, et cetera. And I think maternity hotlines are great for women to be able to access uh, midwives and including partners and family members, and that is really, really important. And signposting to early years uh, provision. We've done a lot of work on updating our maternity information on the website because of the ever-changing guidance that we've had. And what we need is this. I mean, I think Elizabeth already has said about leadership, et cetera, but we need more time and investment. We need a lot more continuity of care, and we need, I think, postnatally, we need more measurable outcomes. This is something we don't have, even the NHS long-term plan is a little bit vague on postnatal care. And involving our mothers in co-producing services postnatally, I think is really important. And working very closely with our early years team, it is very much a, a continuity of care from us to them. Uh, And we must try and hear the voices of women that we don't normally hear from. We must make an effort. And the whole stuff around perinatal mental health is really, really important, particularly in COVID times. So we can go to the ball. We can do postnatal care differently. And I think if we base it in the community, we uh, encourage social capital, uh, that's a team of midwives who actually provide, uh, you know, caseload continuity of care. We can do we can do examination of newborns in women's homes. We don't have to do it in the hospital, and you know, and I think that women meeting women, families meeting families, empowering them, uh, helping each other is a really good way to go. So we need to think a little bit differently. So in summary. Postnatal care cannot remain in Cinderella mode. It will just fade away if we let it be that way. And we do have the power to change postnatal care that fits, is fit for the 21st century. We just need to think differently, work differently, engage differently to make that difference. And remember, the old traditional way of providing postnatal care really is, I think, not terribly suitable for the now, for this day and age. So those are some useful references uh, and I hope you've got some questions uh, for us. So thank you. Thank you very much.
1: That's great. Thank you so much, Logan. That's really, that's really good. I mean, as I, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking it. I mean, it's, it's interesting to think because when I've, I've done any work in different countries, when we've, I've talked about the postnatal care, people have been really, whoa, you go into people's homes, you see the mothers and babies. Wow. And And when you were saying that, I was thinking it could fade away. It could easily fade away mm. and we'd be losing something so important for women's long term and babies, because there's two. That's the other issue. It's not just one person we're looking after. We're losing that really important opportunity so thank you very much for kind of laying that out we do have some questions too which is that and i've got a quiet question or two also in my little um my kit bag too but uh we've got someone fran fran thank you fran says, our fabulous MSWs seem to be playing an even greater role in postnatal care. While they do a brilliant job, how worried should we be that they're being used as by stretch teams, including continuity teams, almost as an extra midwife? That's a very interesting question, actually. I don't know how, I think that's possibly more yes, for um, Logan. Okay, thank you. Um, I agree with you. We, we, we have got some fabulous
0: maternity support workers, but I think uh, without a, a proper, if you like, I think, um, boundaries for them, I think that they are bound to be stretched. I think in, uh, there's been lots of talk about using them as almost a second midwife at home births and things like that, but I would question it because where does the accountability mm-hmm. and responsibility mm-hmm. lie? I mean, it lies firmly with the midwife uh, and and I would be worried about, you know, kind of the training aspects and the increased burden it puts on maternity support workers where they might equally feel vulnerable. I think they need to be able to have to have a voice to say, no, that I, I you know, I draw the line at having to be asking to be asking to do this particular task that I don't feel that I can do. Maybe they... They need to be empowered. And I know the RCM absolutely supports uh, MSWs. Uh, I'd certainly love to see their role as a step up to becoming midwives because I think they they are key in the the frontline work we've done. But I I do worry about the midwife's role being Mm. sort of gradually fragmented, if you like, Mm. because the midwife is then so busy doing other stuff. Uh, and it's a very easy road to go down. Um, I don't know what the full answer is, but I think pe- people do need to stop and take stock about what they're asking MSWs to do and how comfortable they are with that.
1: Yeah, uh, I, think that's, I think that's a, a, a useful kind of uh, highlight because it can be easy, I guess, for a, an MSW to be quite loved idea of doing a little bit more and having a better relationship because it's very much with people isn't it i don't know elizabeth you seem to be nodding away well (laughs) i
2: I very much agree with what logan said and i would um yes being at a home birth is 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 one thing which can be an absolutely lovely uh, experience where the professionals don't have to intervene but it's very important that they're there and able to do so and i think postnatal care can simply be the same. Much of it, um, you know, al- although we focused on some of the troubles that women have when they do have a visit, um, the- there is obviously pleasure and satisfaction in that and helping a mum to recover and uh, seeing that a baby is putting on weight and doing all the things it should do. And that, that can be a-, a-, a lovely way of working. But spotting something that's wrong in postnatal care with either a new mother or new baby I think that is a huge responsibility. It takes that um, really widespread training that um, a midwife has, Mm -hmm. which an MSW, uh, however hardworking, brilliant, experienced, they just don't have that. Mm -hmm. And also if they do spot something, what's the next step? I mean, a midwife has the capacity to refer quickly to medical backup. As I understand it, and this may be different in different parts, an MSW working on their own would have to contact the midwife in the team and the midwife then has to pass on. And there are situations in postnatal care where a mum or a baby is seriously not right and help needs to come very quickly. And uh, that's quite a lot to put on an MSW to say that they've got to really... um, Throw themselves into it and maybe make a pain of themselves if you like to mm. say this has got to be done. You've got to do it. Mm. Um, not not easy because in the system they don't have that authority.
1: No, that's really. I mean, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I know in some areas, um, MSWs have taken a very much bigger role in postnatal mm. care, and I kind of wonder, especially looking at the NMC proficiencies that come out, and also knowing. How you develop expertise? Who then becomes the expert in postnatal care? Mm. But that's that's to throw at the audience for you. Anyway, I've got okay. We've got some more questions. Uh, we have a comment, more than a question, from Georgia Wood, who says, "I used to offer a continutive care scheme where I was, which was available for mothers twenty four seven for six weeks. Was such a learning curve compared to NHS postnatal care?" And felt that I could really support families with all their needs. Well, that sounds a fantastic kind of model of care, and of course, with continuity, that's the sort of model we would all love. I don't know whether it would be possible. we'd need a bit more funding, I think. Let's go. Let's go for Elizabeth's extra funding, a bit from Logan. Okay, Georgia Wood. Uh, no, we're going to Octavia Ways Weis- Wiseman. She has many thanks but how do we improve postnatal care when trusts receive so little money for the service? Mm-hmm. Should we start with Logan again? <laughs> I like I, to be I, mean. <laughs> I, I,
0: I think that if we, if we looked at care and just equated it to the amount of money we get, we're doing, the service, we're doing a real disservice for women. I think that within the package, within what we've got now, we certainly can do a lot better. Uh, And I think we can do it in different ways. And, you know, for me, I think we need to stop the custom and practice of the traditional way of doing postnatal care and do it completely differently. And I think, uh, you know, Octavia knows very well, the REACH pregnancy, antenatal uh, pregnancy research is brilliant. And it's a sort of model that we could easily apply to postnatal and postnatal care, postnatal women. In other words, you know, we already have women coming to children's centres for, for postnatal mm. care. Uh, so it kind of stops you know, midwives having to go to individual homes, etc. For those women who are well, uh, mm. and so that encourages that social capital and there's a better use of a midwife's time. And it's a bit like trying to encourage everybody to do continuity. And people worry about the on calls, etc. But actually, if you did it in a very flexible way, for uh, for, for most women, uh, for and midwives, it's a very good compromise. Uh, so I'm kind of thinking if we look at traditional ways of working, that's where we haven't really succeeded in delivering really innovative stuff. We've got to come out of our comfort zones and think how else can I do this with the sort of resources um, you know I have. And I think it, like you say, using the MSWs, but using them effectively and areas where they do really well and things like postnatal care and having that, uh, if you can't visit women, can it be a phone call? Can it be a virtual, you know, virtual? How are you today? Those little things really matter to women. So I think we need to stop being. You know, those, you know, going along very traditional lines. But that's just me. You know, a lot of people may think very differently. But I, I really think, and I, I, I was a matron on a postnatal ward for, for, for a few years, and I really felt, and in the community, uh, that we, what women wanted was somebody they could trust, they could talk to and open up to. It what, They weren't asking for the moon. They were asking for something really, really simple. And I think mm. we should be able to deliver that.
1: OK, that's brilliant. Thank you. How about Elizabeth? She's
2: <laughs> well a in her eye
1: there.
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm aware that I'm uh, ad- addressing an audience who are in the majority midwives, I guess. Um, but really, while I was doing my talk, I was thinking about the whole of postnatal care, everything from the moment of birth, really, through to the six to eight weeks where the GP check should be ha- happening. And I think for most women, they need some care during all of that time. Obviously not every day at 24 uh, seven um, during that time. Well, I say obviously not, some women might, but um, uh, it um, that is where I think the maternity transformation program, which has done some wonderful work and I have been part of that work, but I think all of us have managed to miss transforming postnatal care Mm. and i'm not just talking about midwives not just about health visitors and not just about gps i've said leadership and i mean we need leadership for that entire period and it is absolutely what we don't have there are excellent leaders in midwifery in health visiting and in primary care but none of them is able to do that so I agree, I think the amount of money at the moment, the way things are arranged, that is um, allocated to postnatal is, frankly, pathetic. Um, we're always told that because women are at higher risk, because they're old, they've got high BMI, they've got this, that, and the other, that they're more, they need more um, intensive care during pregnancy and birth. Then what happens in postnatal, as I was saying? Uh, I I think you illustrated
1: that really so well, actually, both of you did. Yeah, the the problems
2: don't go away. We need to rethink the whole thing. Why is the money split between antenatal, intrapartum and postnatal when the whole focus is on continuity? Mm. Just forget that. For one woman, it's one journey. She doesn't stop and turn into a different woman. Mm. She needs continuity of system throughout with accountability for what she receives. And that is not happening.
1: Can I be a little controversial? Oh no. <laughs> could I could I wonder if it's because postnatal or some midwives, some practitioners, obstetricians even, might find postnatal care a bit dull. Do you think that might account for some you know, because generally intrapartum care is very exciting. You know, it's where that huge buzz of that new baby arriving is. Antenatal is very exciting because you're not quite sure where it's all going to go. I'm just trying to be controversial, really, and I wonder I, because I sometimes wonder if that's a bit of care that maybe we're not as excited about. We're not as bothered. Now, I'm talking to people who have two people who are very bothered about it and very passionate, and I think a lot of the people who are listening are also very passionate because that's coming through in the, the comments that are being made. But I wonder if that's shared and if that might impact on why, why nothing much happens to change postnatal care. I, but being controversial.
0: <laughs> no, I actually, don't, no, no, I think you've got a point, you know, as, as, uh, you know, having managed postnatal services, I do know that there were some midwives who were absolutely passionate about it. But there are also individuals who don't want to be working on a postnatal ward, or working in the community, for example, mm-hmm. uh, because it's just not their their, their cup of tea. Uh, you know, uh, as you know, there's the you know I love labour ward. You know, I like like being where the action is, or mm-hmm. you know, the antenatal side. But I think postnatal ward is often seen as routine and mundane uh, and, and forgive me if I'm using the, the wrong words, well, probably I don't think it is, I think it could it's, be very, very exciting um, but I think it's because of the way we, we provide it, you know, we, we, we have a whole lot of people delivered all in the same area, each with individual needs but in a ward with perhaps only two midwives and a couple of healthcare assistants or MSWs, now how on earth are you expected to deliver that holistic care when, uh, in fact, it's not mother now, but it's mother and baby or even babies. Mm. And you have the same number of midwives caring for them in in, in that way. So if the beginning of that postnatal journey uh, is very um, sparse, if you like, you know, the input is not great. And a lot of our community midwives then pick that up when they're going into the community but they're finding themselves having less and less time to spend mm, with yeah, mothers, so that true. the impact goes on. But I, I agree with you. I do think that it is an area of midwifery uh, that sometimes has got a reputation for only attracting certain types of midwives, perhaps, or certain types of people who want to work there. Uh, and, and it's seen as not terribly exciting. But I think we... As midwives, we've just absolutely got to, we, we are there for these mothers and babies beyond birth and we've got to get that message across. Absolutely.
1: Get that passion on,
0: okay. <laughs> I
1: might have a, a, another question or two. We've got, um, da, 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 da. Uh, Joe D'Agustin says, thanks so much, really important to seek improvement here. So a question, team CMO is really taking off in terms of national leadership. I think who needs to now join the team to take a lead on postnatal care improvement? Wow, that's a a little old question there.
2: Hmm. Well, I I did did worry when I um, banged on a bit about leadership. I was rather hoping that nobody would say to me, well, who should be the leader (laughs) for the whole of postnatal care? And I think Joe has put a very good question, which I don't have the answer to at the moment, the way the system um, is is organised, that there is no clear leader at all. There are, you know, if you like, postnatal care begins with an obstetrician being in the hospital, possibly seeing a woman after the birth, mostly not, I I believe, which is a shame. And I think a lot of obstetricians would like to be able to provide some more follow-up, especially if there's been a, a complication. But I can't see them being given the accountability for everything up to eight weeks, except in, in very, very rare situations with, a, with really a major medical problem. Um, I'd love to see Midwise enabled to provide care and leadership, but that is probably not going to be easy with the current workforce and the current capacity. Um, again, health visitors are very senior clinical professionals and could take that on, but it's not gonna happen with the current workforce. Uh, and, and more or less the same applies to GPs. I know many of them would love to have more engagement with maternity generally, and a lot of others wouldn't. So that's, I don't know the answer yet. <laughs> um, maybe Jackie Dunkley-Bent will come up with a great idea. And she certainly- I, sh-
1: I should think she of, will, yeah. I should think she will. But I mean, the other thing is yeah. that leaders sometimes do emerge, don't they? So yes. th- this might happen. So thank you, Joe, for giving a, a, a nice, tricky question to do. And we've got Paul who says, personal perspective, our first child was born in April last year at the height of the first wave. Our postnatal care consisted of two phone calls, spot tests, GP vaccinations, and that's it. We haven't seen a medical professional since 16 weeks. Baby seems to be developing well, but what have we missed out on? And I think that's a, a kind of, I don't think, Paul is expecting a huge list of um, the answers but it's a very good point and I think that goes back to what Logan was saying because we're going to come up with this group of mums and babies who might have missed out on something I don't think all will have done because some of the um, previous maternity hours we've had it's been quite interesting that some mums and, and midwives have set up different sort of programs to support them, have had different experiences and had, even though they've been isolated in hospital and postnatal wards, they've actually been able to talk to other mothers, which they had, wouldn't have done previously when, you know, in the olden days, but anyway, <laughs> okay. And we've also got, I think the last question now, and this is Barbara Senior, who says the education programme needs to change, e.g. the NIPE, and that's only one part of examination, newborn Mm. of course, should be introduced in the curriculum as not all community midwives can do the NIPE. Well, Barbara, I mean, I'm I'm very aware in the new proficiencies and I know Logan will be, it's not just the knife; it's the holistic examination of the newborn, which is being integrated into the pre-registration curriculum. And I'm very aware all over the country <laughs> there's midwives like Logan, who's, who's very much involved in that, in trying to get each curriculum to include the fundamentals of the holistic examination of the newborn, which incorporates part of the NIAPE examination. And I know that there's a lot of midwives who've done the uh, further education to do the examination newborn also. And as time goes on, that that will happen. So I've answered that question. Sorry, I took over a bit there. (laughs) Now I'm very conscious that the time has marched along. We could talk about this forever. I'm I'm going to invite both of you back at a later point um, to see if if postnatal care gets impacted a little bit maybe maybe that cinderella will get her palace or go to the ball or all (laughs) we need we need a minister for postnatal care that's what we need gosh my goodness oh my goodness (laughs) i wonder if they're watching tonight they'd be too busy doing their (laughs) business (laughs) so please I'd, i'd like to thank both of you elizabeth and logan for joining joining us this evening and giving us all not the answers but some answers and loads of questions and lots of thinking for us all to do around postnatal care and looking after mothers and babies and their families. So thank you so much. And and I would also like to say that there will be people on social media later answering a few questions. This will be available by Friday to go um, and would be accessible. And now next week, the maternity and midwifery hour is again, seven to eight and it's, chai and chat with the assam and that's the association of south asian midwives midwives and that's we've got nafisa anwar and sundas khalid next week which would be lovely so you'll need to bring your own chai that much i know (laughs) so finally take care of yourselves look after your loved ones and we'll see you next week thank you for coming thank you for joining us for the maternity and midwifery hour This podcast has been made
0: possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk.
1: This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group.